Hi, I'm Jim Raffle. Welcome to this episode of the Die Subcast. I'm here with my co-host Shelby. Want to say hi? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Shelby Sikusik, and during each episode of the Die Subcast, we share our experience as small business owners in dye sublimation printing and or we bring on a guest to talk about their own experiences. Over the course of the life of this podcast, we have talked to equipment manufacturers and dye sublimation producers, but we have also brought on some guests to talk about marketing, data analysis, and other pieces of running dye sublimation business that might not be obvious topics. Recently, Jim and I have partnered with What They Think as editors and producers of their new Print Geek section, which focuses on the inner workings of the processes and technology used to create print in today's ever-changing industry. We interview print and color experts in the industry and write occasional articles. You can find this section at whatthethink.com and then by clicking on the Print Geeks tab in the menu bar. So we've been working on this series of video interviews for that section at What They Think with industry leaders to discuss the importance of education in the graphic arts and printing industries. As part of that series, we talked with our friend Bill Pope, who is now Vice President of Technical Services at Printing United Alliance. We've known Bill for a long time through many of the roles he's held and discusses in this interview. Of particular interest to me was his discussion about what's happening at Rochester Institute of Technology, my alma mater, as it relates to keeping that education program relevant to our industry. This interview was originally recorded for whatthethink.com. Welcome to the whatthethink.com Print Geeks interview series. I'm Jim Raffle, and I'm joined as always by fellow resident print geek, Shelby Sapusik. Today, we are going to be talking with Bill Pope of Printing United Alliance about the importance of education in the graphic arts and printing industry. So uh, Shelby, why don't you say hello? Hi, everybody. I'm Shelby Sapusik, and I'm happy to be here with my co-conspirator, Jim, as always. And Bill, it's nice to have you. How are you doing? I'm good, Shelby. Good to see you. Jim, good to see you as well. And uh, as I say, you know, I, I resemble that that statement when being considered a cover printing geek. So happy to join the club. <laughs> Absolutely. So where we've been going with this series to to kick off is the importance of education in the graphic arts. And maybe it would help to give people a little background of, you know, where, where your uh, educational journey took you in the graphic arts and how you ended up uh, as the vice president of something at Printing United, I'll let you fill that blank in too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's vice president of technical services. Uh, yeah, we've got a few vice presidents, but no, it's all good. Um, so, um, you know, I, I guess I'll start back in, in high school. I think like a lot of people, we had a pretty good uh, visual communications or graphic arts program in high school. We had a large high school of almost 2,400 students. So good tax base and we had good equipment, et cetera. And, I'll go into everything we had, but we did have a vertical camera for those that remember those. It was fun, uh, but it was my high school teacher who told me about a, a, a potential career in graphic arts and printing. And um, I grew up in South Central Pennsylvania and was about four and a half hours away from RIT. So I went up the summer after 11th grade and uh, took a look at, at RIT. This would have been, you know, mid 80s, if you will, dating myself. And it was just phenomenal. And I fell in love with with that program and that school. So I went to RIT and studied what was called printing systems and engineering. It was actually a, a dual degree between printing and industrial engineering, five-year program. Very, very cool, I thought. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. If I, I look back at my career, and I won't try and detail it here, you can find me on LinkedIn, but um, I'd, I've spent probably two-thirds of my career in industry and the other third with uh, either an educational or an association-oriented uh, entity. Um, um, so I've spent, I, I did spend another nine years after graduating years later at RIT, um, in a, in a role that allowed me to do a lot of, um, 
seminars and uh, uh, custom training, things like that. Also taught some undergrad classes as an adjunct, and actually I'm, I'm doing that currently as well, uh, or have, have done it more recently, I should say. And, uh, and then I was with the FTA for a short while, which, you know, any of these associations, ours included at Printing United Alliance, are really about education. And, you know, but what's interesting is when I think about my career um, on, the, on the industry side, you know, while, while I was in a technical role, whether it was uh, print quality or process improvement, or finally when CTP came along or closed loop color or process control, really, if I think about it, the overriding theme in any of my positions was one of education. And maybe it wasn't formal in terms of an actual class and grading, but whether it was customers or salespeople or coworkers or press operators or anybody who would listen to me, I, found, I, I think I found myself you know, helping to explain the technology of, of either our, our printing and converting technology or pre-press or color management or color measurement. Um, and that's been very rewarding to me and enriching to take what we all know is a very complicated field um, and try and help distill that down for the audience, whether it's an experienced press operator or it's a new procurement person at a, at a, at a customer's or whatever it might be. So I've always enjoyed the, the challenge of trying to explain technical topics in, a, in an understandable way for people and, and you know, build that rapport and, and especially trust with customers and, and help share, you know, to some level of transparency, your process, your challenges and, and really where you can take things. So um, I've enjoyed the run. It's, it's been great. Um, and I know we'll talk more about education moving forward here about what, what do we all do moving forward, but that's the short version of my background. <laughs> sure. Thank you. So the, the goal here with this particular series is to help people understand what's available and the importance of formalized graphic arts slash printing education. So like you, I, I went to RIT, so I've got a degree in printing management. Shelby has a degree in, go ahead. I went to Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, I did, I went through the journalism program to begin with. So I spent 17 years in the newspaper industry first, but I had a specialty in graphic design. So I went through all the basic color theory classes and art classes and art history and um, a lot of graphic design. Even when uh, I was later an editor, I was a production director for the paper, so it was my job to make sure that advertisers' colors, uh, their brand colors in our ads were good. You know, uh, So I was constantly in contact with the printer all the time, trying to make sure that that purple for that health insurance agency was indeed that purple that they wanted. So I was doing color management in an industry that was very difficult because Newsprint, as I'm sure you know, is very thin, easily saturated and over inked, uh, already has a yellow white point. So I always tell people now, you know, if uh, you think color management is hard on this vinyl, try doing a newsprint for a while. And, you know, you'll feel better about it, I promise. <laughs> so, so where I thought we might want to go, Bill, is you obviously had some industry experience and you hired people and you're now and you can tell people more about it, you're now helping develop curriculum for RIT. And how do you tie those two, two things together? What, you know, what, what should somebody thinking about a graphic arts education be looking for? Why are you, you know, are you adjusting the curriculum to help them or to help the, the producers or a little bit of both? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, 
you know, I, I, we all know that there's I'll call it a labor shortage and it's not just, you know, because of COVID and what's happened there, but even long before COVID, I think a lot of us have recognized that it's hard to attract young people into this industry. Um, I don't know if it was ever a sexy industry, but, you know, back in the day when we got into it, uh, you know, it was just, it was, there was a lot more going on. There were a lot more uh, printing operations and all the, all the schools, whether it was RIT or Clemson or Cal Poly, we all had larger uh, student bodies back then. Uh, so we all know, of course, that things have changed and there's a lot of digital content, you know, but, but, you know, what I think we've seen is um, the programs in order to attract students had to change. Um, and so what we went through at the time, which were, were very much, say, print centric uh, education and, you know, with the technology at the time, you know, drum scanners in the day and SciTech systems and all that. I mean, we didn't have handheld spectrophotometers when we all started and stuff. So, yes, technology changes. And I think the programs have adapted to it well. But in order to attract students and, frankly, attract the parents of the students who are going to foot the bill, typically, the programs have changed. And, you know, RIT was not alone in that. And so what you saw was the traditional printing program get morphed into kind of a, a multimedia program or new media or, you know, the most recent name was the School of Media Sciences. You know, it's almost like print was a dirty word to include in the name of the program, like it would turn people off. And, and I get it. You know, I mean, you know, how attractive is it to try and tell a, a high school junior or senior like, hey, you know, look at the ink under my fingernails. Don't you want to join the club kind of thing? Uh, but we all know very well that there's there's very high tech jobs. Um, you know, available. So it's a matter of how do we get that message out as an industry and, and, and get people attracted to it. Now, I think I think for the the, the high school age uh, person who's looking to find a career um, separate from connecting with them, I think I think there needs to be a way for them to understand like what kind of a role do they want to have. Uh, I'm not going to say that every high school student should go to a four year program necessarily. Um, you know, there's still some two-year associate's degree type programs out there. But what I can tell you is that the, the journeyman apprenticeship programs that used to be plentiful in the day are pretty much dried up. Uh, the RITs and former GATFs of the world, you know, doing the kind of training that doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, what I can tell you is, is you know, the last few companies I've worked for uh, were predominantly offset-based, you know, packaging, folding carton. And we struggled to find experienced operators to come in when there was turnover. And so what you find are a lot of companies are just developing their own on-the-job training. And yeah, there's some outreach going on with local high schools and Votech schools to try and attract students. But I think we got to find a way for to help help enlighten students about what the career opportunities are. And when you have your, you know, your college prep kids as they go through high school, yeah, I, I encourage them to go get a four-year degree. Um, but, but I, but not every student is, is, is going to want to choose that. So I think we have to have some viable, you know, well-defined paths for students so they can pick what they do. If they want to go into more of an operations role, they want to be a press operator, a pre-press desktop operator or whatever, or do they want to be a manager and a, and a technical specialist or whatever? And I think that can help, help drive things. Um, you know, to your other point, Jim, uh, you know, what, I've been working with RIT now for, oh gosh, three to four years in kind of an advisory role because enrollment has continued to decline, decline, decline. And, and the program got got in trouble to the point where it was being considered to, to close it, I hate to say. Uh, but fortunately, RIT is, has uh, you know decided to try and revamp the program. So what we did, and I think what all schools need to do is, at the end of the day, the program has to be relevant. Uh, it has to serve what the industry needs. 
Um, and so what we did is we reestablished what used to be in place years ago that went away for some reason, an industry advisory board. And we got 15 people in from different walks of life, all leaders to some level in their own right, but different parts of the, of the print market, be it suppliers, printers, whatever. And we basically got their help to define the core competencies that they felt each student coming out of, in this case, RIT's program should possess. Uh, the other thing we did is, is we said, okay, of all these core competencies on a scale from exposure to expertise, where should that fall? And we could take that feedback then and say, okay, we all know that say color measurement, for example, is, is core to any, any program. And so you don't just introduce it in the third year in one course and say, okay, you got it. There you go. No, you introduce it in the first year and then you reinforce it in a class in the second year or the next semester, whatever. And so it, it allowed us to help do the building blocks uh, for those core competencies to say, hey, you know, you, you, you learn through repetition. And so you've got to bring these topics up again and again. And by the time they get to their senior year, they will have been around, say, color measurement in this case or color theory, whatever it might be, you know, uh, a number of times throughout their four, four years and stuff. So, um, you know, again, it's about being relevant. Uh, it's about maintaining a connection with industry and having uh, that, that cadence, if you will, of, of checking in. And as the industry changes and the needs change, so should the program. Shelby, what do you think about all that? You got any questions for Bill? Not so much a question, but this remind. I appreciate this conversation today because, um, you know, I talk to a lot of people online about print, and a lot of the questions uh, we talk about in our like print chat and on Twitter. How do we get younger people interested and involved in the print industry today? And I was thinking back. This is back when it was SGIA. We were at the trade show, and we would have that high school student day. And I'd be working in the SGIA booth. You know, I know now it's Print United Alliance, but back then it was SGIA. And they would come into the booth and they'd ask me, like, okay, here I am. I'm in high school. You know, how, where do I go? What's the best way? And I, and I really didn't have an answer because I started out in a different career. My career path changed in my, I guess, you know, maybe mid thirties, young, you know, early thirties, somewhere in there. And so my career path just changed and I kind of, I didn't, all the education that I have as far as printing equipment and doing profiling for color management, I learned all that on the job. I didn't go back to school for it, but I was able to take my core knowledge from my graphic design you know, education and bring all that in. So it's nice to hear that we're working as an industry towards getting younger people like in RIT um, into programs that will get them into the industry and spark an interest. You know, the other thing, I, mean, I don't think any of us have the, have the silver bullet or the magic answer here. Um, you know, some of the other challenges I think we face is that, you know, the, the high school graphic arts program I described that I went to back in, in, the, in the early to mid 80s, it doesn't exist anymore. And so many of the high schools just don't have those programs anymore. They're more into apps and website, you know, web design and other things that are sexier and cleaner and maybe seem more high tech. So, you know, we have a lot of things. I'll say conspiring, but a lot of things against us when it comes to trying to uh, connect with, say, guidance counselors, for example. I mean, how do you tell a guidance counselor of all the things a student could choose, they should come into this? But, you know, Bruce Myers, who I work with at RIT, he, he, uh, he has great perspective. And, you know, there's a number of programs at RIT that touch on graphics or graphic design or graphic communications to an extent. Ours is, is the one. Uh, and by the way, I mentioned the, the old name before of School of Media Sciences. Now it's called uh, the Department of Graphic Media Science and Technology. Uh, and the, the program actually got moved from 
what was the College of Graphic Arts and Photography now over to the over to the College of Engineering Technology. So we're aligned with packaging science and all that. Um, but uh, as I tangent there, um, but I think what I was trying to say is is that you know uh, our program has a very clear path to a career. Uh, a well-paying career and 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 lots of opportunity. So, I mean, I'm not beating up any program, but the point is that I think we need to find a way to help connect with parents as well and, and let them see that there's an actual well-paid career out there for students to, students to go to. And, you know, look, today's, uh, uh, you know, you think about digital printing and today's uh, newer print shops, very high tech. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of old presses out there still, and there's still a lot of dirt under the nails type of type of a thing. But I think there's a lot of good good opportunities out there where it's a cleaner environment, it's high tech, computers are driving everything, software, algorithm, science, technology, and it just happens to be that print is the output. So I know it's an uphill battle, but you know, collectively as an industry, we need to find a way to find those ways to connect with the young people and let them know that there's actually a future here. Well, I think print is such an older industry, and I almost feel like I wish we had a different word for print, because when you when some of these people hear the word print, they think simply laying something down on some paper, two-dimensional, and print today is so much more versatile than that. You know, we have Dysub, we have 3D printing, you know, I mean, we have um, white and clear, and I mean, it's so much more than just your, I'm throwing some ink down on some paper. And I, and I wonder, I wish there was just something more all-inclusive of way to describe the print industry today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago at the print show, I ran into a gentleman, I can't his name now, but um, he had an idea and I'd, I'd like to do this somehow. Maybe anybody out there would like to help, but he thought it'd be cool to put a video together. It would be basically, the title would be like a day without print. And, and you basically, you know, you walk around everywhere you look, there is print. Um, and what would the world look like if there was not print? You know, because it's definitely an awareness thing. And if you think about walking into the grocery store or, you know, you, you buy something, if there weren't instruction, instructions printed on it or, you know, uh, we'll probably talk here in a second about like card games. You know, it's like it's like if you didn't have print, you wouldn't be able to do so many things in life. And I mean, granted, you could say that's always been there and that's been the reality. But somehow we need to find a way to connect the value of print. Um, you know, and, and even beyond, you know, even though the internet and digital media has replaced some things, you know, digital content, as we know, uh, you know, I, I don't need batteries to, to read a book or a magazine. I mean, I know I need light, but there's natural light. It would be kind of eye-opening if at a trade show sometime we did like, we staged a whole room and put all kinds of different print in there and then invited people over and, and walk through and we're going to take everything that's printed out of this room and show them what's actually left, you know, just right. to get that point across. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Bill. Well, we're reaching the end of our time here. So we want to ask you um, the same question we ask everyone who comes on. What's the geekiest printing thing you've done, heard about, or been involved in? Oh, boy. Um, I, it, it's probably a long list, but I'll, I'll give you my most recent one, which I think is pretty interesting, at least to me. So my kids and I play this game called um, Exploding Kittens. I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's a lot of fun, right? So they have the original pack you buy, and then you can buy exp expansion packs, imploding kittens, and et cetera. So for Christmas, my kids got me the next expansion pack called imploding kittens. And when we got it, um, I pulled out the cards and we shuffled them in as you're supposed to. And I got them here. I don't know if you can see this. Now the lighter cards on there are all the, the expansion pack. 
And one of the features of the game, and I'm sure Vegas would love this too, is that you can take a card from an opponent when you have two of a kind or whatever. And so the, the, your opponent is supposed to hold the cards up and say, okay, pick a random card. And so, you know, the, the expansion pack only has good stuff. And so it's really altered the way we play the game because now my kids and we're all going to grab the lighter card. So it drives me nuts. So what I did is I uh, took on my handy spectrophotometer and I measured 20 cards of the old pack, the original pack and 20 cards of the expansion pack. I've got the spectral curves and all the LAB stuff and all that, but there's upwards of a six Delta E difference between these cards. If you can see that, and it's easily discernible and stuff. So it changes the way you can best play. So, um, but come to find out, here's the crazy part. The original pack um, was done with uh, process work. That's a magenta yellow black build. And yet the expansion pack was done with a spot color. And so it's interesting they went that way, but you would think they'd still be able to match a CMYK build with a spot color. So I, I am going to be contacting the company with my data and asking them what their targets and tolerances are because this is unacceptable. And, uh, and, and, and maybe we can help them improve their uh, consistency. But hey, card games, you got to have consistent backs, right? Right, Vegas? So love it. That's my current <laughs> thing. <laughs> That's awesome. I was muted. That's fantastic. Um, thank you for joining us today, Bill. We really, really appreciate you having you as a guest. And we'll see you all next time. Appreciate being here. Take care, everybody. Thanks. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. Once again, you can find the Print Geek section by clicking on the tab by that name in the menu bar at whatthethink.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on our podcast, or if you have any questions about our upcoming training events, you can email Shelby, Shelby at colorcasters.com, or me, Jim at colorcasters.com. We publish new Die Subcast episodes each Friday, so we'll see you next week.